Traveling the Vortex. Side trip. Hello once again, and welcome to another side trip, Traveling the Vortex. I am Sean, and I am coming to you as the resident Star Trek guru. This is Star Trek 205, and in this side trip, we will be taking a look at Star Trek The Next Generation Season 5. Um, once again, this kind of started as a you know a side trip. It was a, the idea was uh, raised that uh, because Star Trek kept kind of creeping into our conversations in regards to Doctor Who, and uh, at least on my end, and uh, I seem to uh, be ostensibly the most knowledgeable about the series, that uh, perhaps I should impart some knowledge, and uh, so here I am to do so. And uh, what I've been doing is kind of uh, breaking it down and uh, taking each season uh, as a look back and giving you my thoughts on uh, the season as a whole and then kind of a gloss over of my top five. Uh, certainly uh, can't miss episodes. And uh, so we were going to do that again. Once again, season five of the show is another just knockout uh, season of television. Um, another great, great, great season that um, really illustrates what uh, you can do with the format when you uh, have it down. Uh, everybody is, uh, you know, top of the game and uh, doing uh, just marvelous, marvelous work. The, uh, the fifth season of Star Trek, um, really riding high. And uh, this is where the show officially entered into, um, I suppose, legal syndication would have been the, uh, the the preferred term. They hit their 100th episode with uh, Redemption Part 2, and um, uh, that was kind of the benchmark uh, at the time, even though uh, it has, um, you know, with, with, in the old days when you would uh, produce a show for network once you hit 100 episodes, it was then there was enough content that you could be turned around and sold into syndication. Um, but uh, Next Gen had always been uh, produced for syndication. So they were kind of uh, jazzed to hit that benchmark. This was, a, you know, a big year. This was the anniversary year in 1991. Uh, this was also the year that uh, we lost uh, uh, Gene Roddenberry. So it was not only the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, but it was also the year that uh, the great bird of the galaxy left us. So uh, certainly highs and lows. It was uh, an emotional year for Star Trek kind of all the way around. But uh, Season 5 contains some of the the absolute highs um, of, uh, of, of Star Trek ever. And uh, once again, a, a certainly a tribute to... Um, the, the, the powers that be and the, the creative decision-making that was going on um, behind the scenes. Um, just because we ended uh, last season with the cliffhanger with Redemption Part 1 and the Klingon Civil War, I'm going to knock out my honorable mentions first. 
because Redemption Part 2 is one of my honorable mentions. Now, the fact that it didn't make my top five in no way, shape, or form indicates that its oil is just not as good. Uh, again, this is a really tough year because there are so many good episodes. In fact, this is one of those seasons where even the stinkers, <laughs> and I use that term loosely, um, even the run-of-the-mill ho-hum episodes are pretty darn good. Uh, it's difficult to find a stinker. It's difficult to find an episode that's just like, oh, this is that one. Um, you know, so just across the board, every every hour of Star Trek is quality TV this season. But Redemption Part 2 uh, uh, wraps up the, uh, the, the Klingon Civil War. It also um, brings to light uh, certain revelations in regards to the Duras family and uh, puts a couple of interesting uh, uh, trains in the track, as it were, with regards to uh, some, some, some future characters. And uh, it's a satisfying conclusion to that story arc. Uh, it just, as, as with Best of Both Worlds, it's just not quite as good. Uh, a couple other ones that I wish to mention are um, Ethics, which it's a very, very standard um, ethics problem. Worf gets crushed by a container and has to decide whether or not he's going to have a very dangerous uh, medical procedure that will uh, uh, basically grow him a new spine or if he's going to live the rest of his life as a paraplegic and what that will do to him as a Klingon. Uh, well, now, of course, Worf being a main character, you can guess which way happens and whether or not he makes it. Um, which in a way is a bit of a cheat because I, I again, think it would be a, a most, a much more interesting show if they went the other way with it. Um, but, um, still, uh, even though it's a paint by numbers episode, I still feel like it's a good one. Cause and effect where the enterprise is destroyed repeatedly in a time loop. And we repeat the same sequence of events over and over and over again, although with a slightly different, um, uh, point of view through each loop is a, a, a very fun one. The Perfect Mate, um, wow, that's an outstanding one. you got to check it out. A Matter of Time, starring uh, guest star Matt Frewer, always a good one. And Disaster, um, just because I'm such a, a sucker for disaster flicks, the Enterprise crashes into a quantum filament and things go wonky. Uh, everybody's isolated in different parts of the ship, and Picard is trapped in a turbolift full of children and has to keep them calm while... Um, making his way with them, uh, climbing many, many, many levels of the ship, uh, with an injured foot, uh, and everybody, uh, everybody else is, you know, trapped in various other parts of the ship as well, dealing with various problems. It's just a fun episode. I, I've always, uh, if you've remembered the old Battlestar Galactic episode, Fire in Space, it's a lot like that one, but, 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 but better. So <laughs> those are just a handful of the highlights of this season. But uh, getting into the actual top five, we're going to start with uh, my, my fifth place one, iBorg, in which a Borg scout ship has crashed and we discover survivors that are cut off from the collective. And thus begins the moral and ethical implications of what do we do with them. Um, they are slowly beginning to regain their humanity because they no longer have the Borg whispering in their ears and uh, controlling them. And what do we do about this? And uh, many options are raised, including 
you know, using a race of nanobots to uh, inject them and then send them back home, which will then destroy the Borg. Do we have the right to do that? Um, it's all kinds of really weighty stuff here. And at its core, it's a morality play. And it genuinely uh, is at its best because it allows us to put a human face on the Borg. The downside to a morality play like this is that the Borg do not need a human face. The Borg work as a villain because they are scary and terrifying and relentless and we don't need a human face to the Borg. We need them to be these unstoppable creatures. We need them to be this, this foe that um, you know, cannot be reasoned with. And in a way, we've already had a human face on them. We had Locutus. We had Picard last season. And um, the, the, the near miss that uh, you know, that was... And so, uh, in a way, it almost feels like a retread of that, although it's done in a completely different style. Um, it's still a very weighty episode, and it treats the Borg completely differently than they've been handled to date, which is something that I very much appreciate. But it, uh, it does, I think, have unintended ramifications for them down the road. Maybe not good. But this is still, I think, an outstanding episode individually. Number four is The First Duty. This is a tale of Wesley Crusher at Starfleet Academy. And an accident during a training maneuver leaves one of his fellow cadets dead. And Starfleet is rather relentless when a cadet dies in finding out what happened. And Wesley is pressured into delivering a variation of the events that uh, perhaps led up to that scenario by the squadron commander. And the idea being that, well, if we just keep our mouth shut and say this, then everything's fine. No harm, no foul, and we all move on with our lives and graduate. The only problem is that's not the truth. And as Wesley sinks deeper and deeper and deeper into Picard's death stare, <laughs> it becomes very obvious he is not going to be able to deal with this. It is an intense episode, and again, this is a, a another you know template uh, kind of show. It's you know this is a courtroom drama. This is something that the show does very very well. Is this type of storytelling, uh, and it just puts a new spin on it, and yet it does it in such a way that it's uh, so exceptionally done with uh, these great characters, and it becomes a very riveting hour of television. We also get to meet Boothby. Now, Boothby is the oft-mentioned, um, you know, groundskeeper at Starfleet Academy. Uh, Boothby, who was ancient when Picard attended the Academy. And in a bit of a casting coup for the ages, they got Ray Walston 
to play Boothby, which could not have been any more perfect. Ray Walston is, of course, uh, you know, the, the world's wisest man. Um, Ray Walston uh, uh, has such a long and, and, uh, and beautiful history with science fiction. Uh, he was my favorite Martian back in the, back in the day. Uh, many of you will probably remember him best as... Um, oh, I'm going to blank on his name, his character's name. He was in uh, 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 the television adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand. What was his name? Glenn? Uh, playing again, kind of a, a variation on uh, the, the 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 wisest man in the room, um, but that's that's Ray. Wal- I mean, the Twilight Zone. He's done everything under the sun. That's just Ray Walston. That's just who he is. And um, so to put him as Boothby and see this wise, uh, this weazened old Yoda-like character show up, played by this wizened old character actor, was just icing on the cake. It was just perfect. Uh, number three is, I'm going to admit, a bit of a cheat. And that's Unification Part 1 and 2. And I consider it a two-parter when it's not a cliffhanger. And then sometimes I'll go ahead and consider it a two-parter anyway, uh, uh, one episode. Because um, there's just no way to break it up. Now, a Unification is the idea that uh, the, as postulated in the original series, the Romulans are the same real uh, genetic race as the Vulcans. They are a genetic offshoot. And when Surak brought forth the idea of total logic and controlling emotions and bringing everything under that umbrella, there was a large group of people that were not happy with that, and they left and they founded what would become the Romulan Society. It has been a pet project of Spock for years to attempt to unify the Vulcan and Romulan people. And as we find out very early on in this episode, before the first, uh, you know, uh, credits, opening credits, Spock is cited on Romulus. Former Ambassador Spock, 70 years later, after the original series, still kicking, and he is cited on Romulus, apparently still working to make that dream a reality. Which is a little bit of a concern to the Pirates of Be at Starfleet, because, well, you know, the Romulans are not exactly... Um, friendly with the Federation at the moment. He is, you know, dipped behind enemy lines, as it were. And so Picard is sent to intercept the ambassador and find out just exactly what the hell he's doing. And so the first episode of Unification is this very great, let's go find Spock. And we get a return of Ambassador Sarek. Uh, who is still suffering from Bendai syndrome and going downhill fast. He is um, only lucid for a few moments of his guest appearance, and it's 
tragic and heartbreaking and um, just emotionally overbearing and destructive. And the Enterprise uh, takes Picard in and a Klingon, a cloaked Klingon vessel drops them, uh, uh, Picard and Data, off on Romulus where they manage to um, eventually hook up with the Ambassador and we get Spock right at the end of the episode. And it's Leonard Nimoy. And there he is. Dun, dun, dun. And then we had to wait a week. Unfortunately, it was only a week. And the second half, in some ways, is fantastic, and in other ways, fails to live up to the premise of the first half. And I feel both of those almost are, are laid at Leonard Nimoy's feet. Because... Because of the structure of the plot, there there's still a bit of business that needs to be wrapped up in which he is not present for. And there's a bit of business that needs to be wrapped up in which he's a very passive participant in. And so there's, there's a good chunk of the episode where it's like, Spock's not here, man. Uh, we, we, we tuned in to see Spock, and he's... He's just kind of along for the ride and, and and not really doing anything. Which, you know, that's not what you want when you bring a hero in, especially one of this magnitude. The other part of it is Leonard kind of sleepwalks his way through the episode. And I mean no disrespect, because obviously this is Leonard Nimoy, legend. And this is Leonard Nimoy, you know, Spock. This is somebody that I've been watching on TV for years and years and years and years. And yet, he, he it, it's, it's almost as if his heart wasn't really in it. He, he showed up and collected a paycheck, but... Spock wasn't really there. And that's an unusual thing to say because any time Leonard Nimoy shows up as Spock, I've I've only ever seen him give 110%. But this episode, he seems very flat and kind of out of his element. And I don't know if maybe the loss of, of, of Roddenberry played into that or... Uh, if, if he was distracted or the, the pacing of Next Gen was different from what he was used to or if there was a, a personality conflict. I don't know the reason. I just know it doesn't quite feel like my Spock. And that sounds like a very weird thing to try and pin the, the thematic failure of an episode on. But it, it, it is there. I think it's a very palpable feeling that this is just not quite right. On the other hand, there are a great many triumphs to this episode. Um, one of which is there is a Spock Data scene where we get these two characters. And it's no secret that Data was obviously modeled after Spock, the emotionless, uh, 
you know, almost robotic individual who yearns to be human, or at least dealing with uh, his emotions and how to deal with a crew full of humans. And, uh, you know, the, the two of them hyper-intelligent and, and very scientific and having this discussion and bouncing off of each other and seeing how they are similar and different. And, uh, and when Data tells him, you know, the irony is that, uh, you know, your rejection of emotions is essentially a rejection of everything I aspire to be. Fascinating. Uh, just, there's some great interplay there. And in many ways, it's exactly what you would want out of that episode. There's also the return of Selar. Now, Sela, uh, uh, Sela, Selar. Selar is Denise Crosby, the return of Denise Crosby. I've kind of been tap dancing around Denise Crosby's return. She is uh, obviously, uh, originally was Tasha Yar. And in yesterday's Enterprise... Uh, from season three, she stays behind on the Enterprise C during the weird time travel incident where that ship was brought forward into the future and she showed back up after, you know, supposedly having died. So she goes backward in time from a timeline that she wasn't supposed to exist in on a ship that ostensibly is going to get blown up and is captured by Romulans and apparently um, is made the, uh, the, 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 the concubine of a Romulan uh, conqueror and has a daughter named Sela who becomes a uh, relative higher up in the, the Romulan uh, hierarchy. And um, the the uh, the ridiculous Romulan bowl cut, only blonde, <laughs> to to signify uh, signify that yes, this is this is Denise Crosby, uh, you know, played by Denise Crosby. Um, and uh, so then she obviously uh, you know she she's returned. She had a hand in the Klingon Civil War. Was responsible for priming that pump and uh, and returned there. And now she is here and uh, uh, causing some problems uh, for us here. So she returns yet again. And um, it, it's a um, it's a unique problem to have when you're dealing with a character that was essentially created from an offshoot timeline. I mean, how exactly does that work? Your mother was from a timeline that shouldn't have existed, that went back in time on a ship that should have been destroyed, but didn't. I mean, the ship was still destroyed, but she didn't die with it. And now you're in the prime timeline as the daughter of this ab- aborted... Yeah, it, it, cre- it creates all kinds of... Um... <laughs> oh, look, I've gone cross-eyed. It's best just not to think about it. And, uh, hey, look, Denise Crosby came back. So there's that. So unification is both wonderful and has some problems. Number two 
on my list. Darmok. Now, Darmok is, uh, wow, quite possibly one of the greatest episodes of any science fiction anything ever written. It really takes the idea of a unique science fiction premise and runs with that football all the way to the end zone. And then it spikes the football and then picks up the cheerleader, runs out of the stadium, gets in the car, and drives off onto a vacation. I mean, it's, it's that far out there. The idea being that Picard is trapped on a planet with the captain of another alien vessel. So these two captains are on this planet. And they're doing... Um, the, the other captain speaks in metaphor. He speaks in broken sentences that Picard doesn't quite get. And it takes him the, the, the majority of the episode to kind of put things together that the, the, the captain is telling these stories that he's doing Gilgamesh, that he's doing Shakespeare, that he's doing, um, uh, uh, the, 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 of course, they're all alien stories, so Picard doesn't really recognize them, but he's telling these tales, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, Darmok on the sea, Shaka when the walls fell, and that all of these are metaphors for their current situation, and that that's how this race communicates. And so once they, once Picard makes that connection, he can then rationalize what this captain is trying to tell him in regards of the beast of Tanagra, which is this invisible hunter that is stalking both of them and is able to successfully fight it off. But at what cost? Um, this is also uh, Paul Winfield plays the alien captain. Now, Paul Winfield is another of those uh, just absolutely um, glorious uh, sci-fi alumni. He previously appeared in Star Trek as Captain Terrell in Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. He is also uh, a, a, an alumni of James Cameron's. Uh, he was the police captain from the Terminator. So he's been around the block a few times and to see him in all of this, uh, you know, the turtle headgear and, uh, you know, splotchy makeup and everything like that, muttering to himself, Deeglo, his eyes opened and, uh, <laughs> slashing with a knife. And, uh, it's just, th th this is a, in many ways, it's a story that, only Star Trek could do. I, I think this is a franchise. This is, this is a story that this is the only franchise I think that could possibly attempt to tell a story in this manner. I don't know that you could pull this off with too many other science fiction franchises like this. And it is so amazing. It is. It is such bold storytelling, and it's a fantastic episode. It's so good. 
Number one, and I don't think there's too many fans that would disagree with me here, the inner light. Uh, in this one, a probe scans the Enterprise and uh, zaps Picard. And he wakes up and is living a life as someone else on a planet where he is married and has a, he, he has a life. And there is a drought, and there is some concern, and it's it's basically um, I don't know Superman. He's he's Jor-El, and he's a young man. And after the first commercial break, we come back to him, and you know, of course, he's he's struggling to tell his wife that you know I was on a starship, I was this, I was this. We come back from the commercial break, and he is now older. And they have a child, and he's kind of settled into this routine and put away the starship fantasy. And the drought has gotten a little worse, and uh, you know people are adapting to the idea that uh, things are, are are rough. But you know we'll get through this. And we come back, and he's older, and his son has grown, and he has uh, another child, and. Uh, his, his wife is older and uh, the, the society is beginning to get concerned that things are not, uh, you know, things are not evolving and his calculations indicate that this may be the end of their civilization. And we come back from another commercial break and now he's a grandfather and he has confirmed that the, the, whatever has happened to their planet is this is the end, this is the death throes of their civilization and uh, you know, we, we've got to design something to let other races know that that we're out here, that this is, you know, this is what's happening, and they are designing this probe. And we come back from another commercial break, and the probe is ready to go, and the wife dies, and he's all alone, and it's this big, huge emotional arc, and he's learning to play this flute through the whole thing. And then Picard wakes up on the bridge, and that was the probe. He spends the entire episode an hour it took you know an hour maybe not even that I don't remember the actual length of time six minutes or something he was unconscious and he lived the lifespan of this individual on this planet in order to have the life experiences of this race of people so that they could be passed on in memory and not be forgotten. That's how, that's how they did it. Is they, they, they programmed all of this into the probe and sent it off into space before their planet died. And the last shot is Picard retiring to his, his quarters. And one of the items that was in the probe's housing that they brought on board the ship is this flute the one that this old guy was trying to play throughout his whole life, starting as a young man and all the way through the kids and everything. And Picard picks it up and begins playing. And he plays the melody that the old man was playing at the end of the lifespan. And it is haunting and beautiful and eerie. And just 
an emotional powerhouse of an episode. And it's another one of those that I'm not sure that there's too many other franchises out there that could do an episode the way that this one is done if it wasn't Star Trek. And that's the beauty of the show, is that Star Trek enables you to do these kinds of of storytelling. And you can be bold. You can be daring. You can be... You you can genuinely go where no one has gone before with these kinds of ideas. And it works. And... uh, and so these 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 are these are some of the must watches. And uh, again, season five is just full of them, just absolutely full of them. You could do far worse if you are looking for things to uh, to watch on television <laughs> than to watch these. Once again, uh, we live in a very fortunate time frame right now that Star Trek is readily available uh, pretty much across the board. You can find it streaming just about anywhere, um, including uh, CBS All Access and Amazon Prime and Netflix, uh, etc., etc., etc. So whatever corner of the world that you're in, you can find Star Trek, and that is a very good thing. Um, once again, if you have enjoyed this, please drop us a line and let us know, um, and let me know. And if you have any questions or corrections, occasionally I do get things wrong, um, please let me know. Um, even my encyclopedic knowledge of, uh, of Star Trek, uh, I am getting older. Like Picard, I am moving into the, uh, <laughs> the, the era where I can no longer remember the notes on the flute. And so uh, sometimes I get a little rusty with things. But um, I, I, I hope you've enjoyed this. I have uh, enjoyed talking about it. And uh, as long as you continue to enjoy them, I will continue to produce them. And we'll do a Star Trek 206 and get into the sixth season at some point. So uh, Once again, I hope everyone is doing, uh, doing well and staying safe. And if you have enjoyed this... Uh, please uh, consider visiting us on our Patreon page and uh, tossing a coin to your witcher, as it was, and uh, uh, continue to uh, keep the lights on for us. Uh, We would appreciate that as well. All those funds go right back into continuing to produce additional content for Traveling the Vortex. And don't worry, the uh, Traveling the Vortex boys will be back with more content. It is coming. We have just been uh, a little swamped and uh, um, been a little difficult to get together and, uh, and record anything, and so hopefully this will help fill the gaps, as it were. Until next time, this is Sean for Traveling the Vortex, wishing you all to live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>